First of all, are you excited it's summer? Yeah. Are you glad it's summer? Oh, man, I love summer. I love wearing flip-flops. Does anybody else like wearing, wearing flip-flops? Okay, good, awesome. I'm not wearing them today, but I'll spare you that. But uh, I love wearing flip-flops, and I love those ices. You know, those like long kind of popsicle icy pops thing that you freeze? But, man, growing up, I had about 17 of those a day. Um, just like last week. So um, I love summer. But here's one of the things about summer. So this is my, my uh, soapbox speech, and then I'll preach. Um, we're not going to shut down for the summer. Do you know that? Yeah, pretty exciting. Some of you grew up in church culture. Some of you grew up, and, and during the school year is when things were rolling. And then if you're a part of a church and it's during the summer, it's like, okay, we're shutting down. I have a friend that's a pastor in Minnesota, and he actually, every uh, May, when it's around graduation time, and people are thinking like, okay, I'm just going to kind of skip out on weekly worship once in a while and all that, he puts a big old sign in the churchyard that says, yes, we're still open. Uh, and I, you know, I think that's a good reminder, right? We need that reminder. There's kind of this restful, uh, lazy view that we have of the summertime, and please, rest Go on vacation. Slow down. That's actually a commandment from God. Did you know that? Like you're called to rest and take care of yourself, so do that. But I think that we can do that without the expense of being lazy in our relationship with God. Does that make sense? So I just want to encourage you to do that as maybe your, your schedules are changing with the, the kids being home now or uh, different routines for the summer. God is doing some incredible things at Hope Des Moines this summer. You heard about park nights. You heard about vacation Bible school. Life groups continue to meet throughout the week. There's lots going on. And to top it all off, we get to worship the God of the universe here every week. So why would you miss that? Amen. Why would you skip out on an opportunity to do that? What an incredible, incredible opportunity. So, if you get it, say got it. Get it? Good. So we are in, if you want to grab your Bibles uh, and open those up um, to uh, John chapter 1. That's where we're starting this morning. You're hearing about this person named Jesus. That maybe there's a lot more going on there, you think. Today we're looking at the second part of the Apostles' Creed, the second part of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're in this... um, We're in this sermon series called Getting to Know God, and we've been walking through the Apostles' Creed, and we've been reading that uh, together. The Creed paints this beautiful picture for us of the God that we worship, that he is three in one, not three separate gods, but one. And last week, Josh talked to us about God as Father, that regardless of our images of earthly fathers, God created the world, he created you, he loves you. He knows exactly where you're at today. He knows exactly what you're working through. And this week, we're going to talk about the Son. And so we've been working through the Creed in sections. So let's read the second part to the Creed. Um, So this is, um, we can clear that out so we can see better. Um, This is the second part uh, to the Creed. And so there's three slides here, and they each take different parts of Jesus's life. So when you read this, don't just read it as some like kind of rote memory thing that you just spouted out. Think about what you're saying. We're telling the story of who Jesus is. Let's read this together. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. So that's where the Jesus, the Son portion ends off. Now, 
when you were reading that, let me just ask you a question. Did any of you, did you just felt like this surge in, inside of you and just you were just captivated in your soul? Okay, two of you. See, there's a danger that we can lose Jesus in the words and just think that this whole faith thing is just repeating these things from memory. And maybe that's your church background or your tradition is that you just said these things, but you never really thought about what you're saying. Does anything about that, just reading that, make you fall in love with the person of Jesus? For some of you, yes. For some of you, no. You, you need a little bit more. We can't just stop at the words. We need to get to know the person. And so that's my desire of what we're going to do today. That although Jesus, the Son, the second part of the Trinity, is probably one of the most, he's the most well-known part of the Trinity. Not a lot of people understand, how do I see God as Father and this Holy Spirit thing? We'll talk about that next week. Like, whoa, that's weird. Who is the Son? Most people have heard of Jesus, Right? Whether you agree with him or not, whether you think he's actually Jesus is Lord, whether that's a part of your faith or not, most people would recognize Jesus, but he's also probably the most misunderstood. For better or worse, right or wrong, our current view of Jesus, your current view of who this man named Jesus is this morning has been formed probably a lot through your upbringing, through your family, through your church of background, or if you didn't grow up in the church, through your experience with Scripture, what you have been taught about Jesus, and even the culture around us. Do you know there's something called a Christian subculture? Within our culture, there's a Christian subculture where we tend to just read certain books and listen to certain music, and a lot of times they just kind of go along with the flow of what everybody else or what's popular at the time. And we always have to be careful, even in Christian subculture, that we always go back to Scripture and say, is that really the Jesus that's in here? We always have to check it, test everything. And so last week, some of you had a chance to write down some of your misperceptions, your, your uh, assumptions about God. And there was many more panels than this, but you had all these sticky notes. You remember doing this? And you write down these negative or maybe false images of God that you've lived with. And there's, there's dozens of them. And you start looking at some of these and you realize, <laughs> I hope you know you're not alone this morning. I hope you know that you're, you're not the only one here this morning that's doubting, that's wrestling with who God is, with what it looks like to believe in him. These are full, and there's many more like them, and they're from you. I didn't make these up. These are real, actual doubts, fears, struggles, things that you have lived with your whole life. And the reason we did them on sticky notes is, for a lot of you, you look like this. And you've walked around your whole life saying, I know all about God. I know who he is. And you have all these false assumptions about who he is. And some of you will go your entire lives as Christians and go, well, of course God's judgmental. Of course God's probably passive. Right? Whatever, whatever those things are, of course God doesn't have time for me. Because maybe that was your perception of your father, and the danger is what we'll do is that we translate all those sticky notes to Jesus as well. Well, if God the Father's like that, well, then maybe Jesus is like that. We apply them to him, and we'll start living like it's true, and they stick to us. The problem is, <laughs> when we start to read God's word, especially the Gospels, and we start to look at the person of Jesus, 
It's a startling revelation when we realize that the Jesus we thought we knew was not actually the Jesus that lives in here. Maybe it's time to rediscover him, to to take a second look. It's almost like the things and the people that that are most common to us, that we see a lot, that we hear a lot, that we think we know a lot about, they can become common and they can become ordinary. Some of you have met Jesus for the first time here at Hope Des Moines. This is your first experience with him. Some of you have been a part of church your whole life, and you've been, you've been hearing about Jesus and, and studying and singing, and it's easy to assume, oh, I think I know what Jesus is like. Maybe it's time to take a second look. I want to make this point for you uh, in kind of a funny way uh, today. I brought a few pictures with me, and maybe you've seen some of these before. Let's roll through these. Tell me what you see. What do you see? A woman, young woman or an old woman? Who sees a young woman? Who sees an old woman? Hmm. Are you seeing it? Sometimes you have to look again and look a little bit deeper, right? Go ahead and go to the next one. Which way is that guy facing? Oh, everybody goes, yeah. Which way is he facing? Straight forward? Sideways? You thought you knew, but it's worth a second look, isn't it? Okay, go ahead and go to the next one. What do you see? Flower vase? Who sees a candle holder? Who sees two people staring at each other? Who sees both? Now you do. Oh, yeah, I saw it the whole time. Right? <laughs> You're in church. Don't lie. <laughs> Depends which way you look at it, right? It's worth a second look. I think we got one more, maybe. What do you see? Who sees a tree? Who sees a whole lot of faces? Isn't that crazy? It's the exact same thing. You've been staring at it. You've been looking at it. And here's the thing, folks. We do the exact same thing with Jesus. And maybe if we would go back to the Gospels and take a second look, we would discover that maybe Jesus isn't who we've assuming him to be. Because here's, I got one last picture. Go ahead and throw that one up. What do you see? This is what I call the not amused Jesus, right? (laughs) Some of you, this is the picture of Jesus that you grew up with, right? My my other word for this is, don't even think about laughing in church, Jesus. Whatever you're going to say, it's not funny, okay? But some of you grew up with this picture of Jesus. And unless today you are perfectly content with your current view of him, that you assume that you know all about him, maybe Jesus, just like those pictures we looked at, those optical illusions, maybe Jesus is worth a second look. Maybe when you initially look at him and say, well, yeah, that's Jesus. He's kind of boring, dull, and out of touch. Well, is he? Have you read the stories in a while? Is that the Jesus that you read about? That guy doesn't have a personality. And yet when I read the Gospels, (laughs) you've seen the commercials for the most interesting man in the world. (laughs) Wasn't the first. Somebody had him beat. It was this guy. Have you read the Gospels recently? He's an incredible, incredible person. In other words, our task today is we're going to rediscover Jesus' personality. 
If you have your Bibles, actually now turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. It's not the Gospel of John, but all the way in the back of your Bible, 1 John chapter 1. There's 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John because he liked to write a lot. He got long-winded. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. The Apostle John, the Apostle that Jesus loved, I like to pride myself on that, um, liked to write a lot. He liked to remind people of why we have the Bible in front of us. And I love how he puts it. This is the the message version, so this may be a little different than yours, but I'm going to start reading in about verse 2 or 3 and kind of follow along. It goes like this. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. He's speaking about the people that were with Jesus. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in the most sober prose that what we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us and experience the communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And now listen to this. This is so great. I love how he translates it. Our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this. When's the last time you sat down to do your quiet time of your Bible study, and you said, oh, I can't wait. I'm really going to enjoy this. Is that your normal approach, or is it, oh, okay, i got to get my 20 minutes of Bible reading in. Check it off the list, right? Oh, I'm really, that's why the authors of the Gospels wrote it, so you could experience the same Jesus that they experienced, to take a fresh look. Because here's the thing. No matter what your ideas or assumptions are of Jesus, he's never changed, which means we have. We have. He's never changed. We have. I was talking with somebody a few weeks ago um, discussing Jesus, thinking about this sermon, and they said, well, we all know you can't really know Jesus like you know your good friends. He's altogether different from us. And I thought about that. I was like, Something doesn't sit right about that with me. I mean, yes, Jesus is fully God and fully man, which means he is completely divine, he is holy, but to say that you can't know Jesus intimately, how sad. Because John's saying, that's why Jesus came. To show us once and for all. You don't have to speculate any longer. You look at the person of Jesus, and you can know Oh, that's what God's like. He's not so disconnected from you after all. This is what he's like. The Gospels were written not as a boring textbook on how to be a better person. They were written so that you could experience the exact same Jesus that the disciples did and be absolutely captivated by him. Not just to read it as a a textbook or as a list of rules or, or do's and don'ts. When's the last time that you read the Gospels and you meant, Oh man, I love this person. I love this man. I would love to be with him. I would love to hang out with him. Is that how you read the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and ask yourself, I don't know, you ever read those and sometimes we think, oh, let's pay attention to what Jesus said, and we should. Sometimes we read the Gospels and we say, I want to pay attention to what Jesus did, and rightly so, we should do that. When's the last time you read the Gospels? Be honest. When's the last time you read the Gospels and asked yourself, What was Jesus' personality like? You know, like, you have a personality. I do. 
we're a weird church. Do you know that? There's a bunch of strange personnel, and that's a good thing, by the way. And I'm one of them. I'm the chief of sinners. Chief of weirdness. Jesus had a personality. You ever thought about that? You have quirks about you. You have a unique giggle. Some of you snort when you laugh. I've heard you. You have a personality, and Jesus did as well. Think of the people that you know and love and trust the most. Why do you love and trust them? Chances are it's not one quality about them, but it's a combination of the many wonderful qualities that make them who they are. Personality is what draws us to somebody. Ever thought about that? I don't just look at a picture of you and say, boy, I bet I'd love being their friend. You to hang out with them. You spend time with them. You be in conversation with them. So why not Jesus? Yes, Jesus is strong and he's faithful and he's true. Have you ever considered that Jesus was hilarious? Funniest man who ever lived? Some of you are taking this very seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever considered that Jesus was probably an incredible listener? That he was adventurous? Have you ever considered that Jesus was probably the life of the party? Oh, sounds scandalous, doesn't it? If you don't know that Jesus, just like we did with those pictures, let's take a second look. Let's take a second look. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to go back to the Gospel of John. John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Of the many characteristics that we could dig into, we're going to dig into just a few today. When you think about Jesus' life, many of us think of Jesus' death and resurrection. But did you know that Jesus was a carpenter? You know, he was just a regular guy with dirt under his fingernails. You know that, right? He didn't start his earthly ministry until about 30 years into his life. So what was he doing? Well, what a lot of us do. Work. Work from nine to five. He was an an ordinary man, fully human. And if we discover who Jesus was, his personality, we might just discover the heart of God, and it might transform your view of what it means to be a Christian. I want to start with a clip. A lot of you have seen the Passion of the Christ, and you think, oh, Jesus was whipped, and he was beaten, and he was crucified, and he died and rose again. At the beginning of the movie, there's this really funny clip of Jesus and his mom in the carpenter shop. Ever heard Jesus laugh? Let's take a look. I think Jesus just splashed water in his mother's face. He was laughing. He was playing with her. Who is this guy? I think think Jesus might be the kind of guy that I could hang out with on a Friday night and not feel awkward at all. Can you imagine that? Bringing, ah, it's my friend. Uh, Yeshua just came to the party tonight, right? That'd be pretty cool. Does the God you know laugh? Does the God you know play practical jokes? If not, I'd invite you to take a second look. Now, did that actually happen? Well, probably not exactly that way. But it doesn't seem so far off if you start reading the stories. John chapter 21. John chapter 21, you've, you've heard that Jesus rose from the dead, Yeah? He's not, he's not dead, right? Uh, Jesus rose from, what, do you, what do you think Jesus did after he rose from the grave? Went to Disney World. No. What did Jesus do after he rose from the grave? So John chapter 21. 
We pick it up in verse 1. It says this, Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter, you know Peter. Simon Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. Back to ordinary life. Jesus is dead. They haven't seen him yet. They don't know he's alive. I'm going fishing. And they say, we'll come too. Right? Bunch of sorry guys. They all said. So they went out in the boat and they caught nothing all night. Can you imagine fishing for 12 hours straight and catching nothing? Some of you are like, that sounds like heaven. Right? No. These guys, this is, their, this is their job. This is their livelihood. It says, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. Sunrise is coming up, and here's this strange-looking man walking down the beach. But they couldn't see who he was. They didn't even recognize him. Watch, watch this. Just, could you just read the story with a little bit of humor with me? He called out, Hey, fellas, have you caught any fish? He's God. He knows, right? He knows they haven't caught any. He's playing with them. He's being sarcastic. Hey, dudes, how's it going? What are you doing out there? They say, no, they replied. I'm sure they said, yeah, beat it, right? I'm sure that's probably what they said. Then he said, throw your net to the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Time out. Is this not the most hilarious story? They don't even know it's Jesus yet. Do you notice how Jesus kind of casually enters the scene? His best friends don't even know who he is. Probably dressed up like somebody. Now Jesus has just risen from the grave and defeated Satan in the pits of hell. And what does he do to celebrate? I'm going to play a practical joke on my buddies. What? Is that the, is that the personality of Jesus that you know? I'm going to go play a practical joke and later on I'm going to cook him breakfast on the beach. Man, I'd love to hang out with that guy. So then he says, you know, throw your nets on the other side, and what do we find? They're overloaded with fish. Think back. How did these disciples first meet Jesus? Where? Fishing on the beach. It might have been the exact same spot. Who knows? But on the beach, by their boats. And what did Jesus do the first time that he met them? He made their nets break open with so many fish. And when their nets break, that's the cue. Jesus is back. We've got Jesus back. And like an old friend, you know you've done this before. You sit around the, the campfire, you, you sit around uh, the living room, and you tell stories of old. And all the funny stories that happen, like an old friend telling a familiar story, Jesus is a complete jokester. Not revealing himself with some serious speech in the temple, attention everyone, I am back from the dead, I am holy and righteous and religious, and you should listen to me and do whatever I say. He goes to the beach plays a practical joke on his buddies, and then cooks some breakfast. Is that the God that you know? And yet ask many Christians about Jesus' personality, even some of us that have been in the church for a long time, and if we're honest, we would say, he seems boring. He seems stuck up. He seems stuffy and religious. A lot like, yeah, a lot like this guy, right? Not amused, Jesus. That guy is not the guy I see in here. Amen? I don't think that guy's capable of playing a practical joke. And yet finding Jesus as playful should not surprise us. He's God after all. And John chapter 1 that we heard read for us this morning says, Jesus was there in the beginning at the creation of the world. You can learn a lot about an artist 
by what they leave behind, by the art that they leave behind. I was sitting out on our deck the other day, just watching creation, and I see these two little squirrels go across the top of our fence. I'm thinking, why did God create squirrels? And then here's what happened. They're chasing each other back and forth across the fence, right? And then what happens is one of the the, uh, squirrels kind of slips, and he's like hanging on the fence where the other squirrel can't see him, and the other squirrel kind of goes... I'm literally watching this in my lawn chair. And the squirrel, like, where did he go? And the other squirrel, I think, decides to play a practical joke. And he hangs there so that the other squirrel can't see him. The other squirrel runs down here. And as the other squirrel's running back, the other one pops up and goes, Rah! like that. And they both fall to the ground and they start going like this at each other. Somebody created them to do that. Your Savior did. The same Jesus that cooked breakfast on the beach did. Somebody, when's the last time you just looked at creation and went, who thought all this up? Have you looked at an emo up close? Some of you are like, that's what I look like in the morning after three cups of coffee, right? Who came up with the emo? God was like, oh, this is kind of boring, you know, the elephant's kind of gray. I need something new. How about this guy, right? God created that. All throughout creation, we see a God that is playful. What does that tell us about the personality of Jesus? That a playful God is everywhere. Did Jesus have a sense of humor, you ask? Well, Jesus is God, and God created laughter. Yeah, I think Jesus had a pretty good sense of humor. So maybe we shouldn't take ourselves so seriously. Elbow the person next to you, wake them up and say, don't be so serious. Don't be so serious. Think about the kind of people that Jesus hung out with. Who did Jesus hang out with? Did he like to hang out with religious people? No, he couldn't stand them. Jesus hung out with all the time the the tax collectors, the sinners, the party animals. Folks, this was a wild group. What do wild party people do when they get together? They go wild, right? They party. I'm sure they were telling loud stories. They were belly laughing over good food and drink, which quickly earns Jesus the reputation that's not really appropriate to mention in church. Or maybe we've created a church culture that even Jesus wouldn't feel comfortable in. You ever thought about that? For it was Jesus' playfulness, among many other attributes, that must have made him irresistible and completely comfortable to be around. Sometimes I imagine Jesus sitting in the crowd of all the sinners and all the scumbags and outcasts as labeled by society, and he's just looking around at all these people that the rest of the world hates, and he's just looking around the table and he's just smiling. He's just laughing with them. Because he says, I get to hang out with some of my lost sheep. I'm with them. I'm going to get my hands dirty in this world. Is that the Jesus that you know, or is the Jesus you know has his nose stuck in legalism and judgment, just like the religious people that drove him crazy? So, yeah, there's those people who are like, some of you are like, ooh, I don't know about that Jesus. Jesus loved kids. Any of you have kids, grandkids? Just raise your hand. 
You think that Jesus is the kind of person that you'd want to have babysit your kids? Check it out. So there's a story in the Gospels, and the little kids are running up to Jesus. The parents are, are bringing kids up to Jesus. He's in the middle of a sermon or something important like that, and, and the people are bringing their kids up, and the disciples are like, no, 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 no. Jesus has better things to do. He's God. He's the Son of God. He's giving a very important sermon. This is very serious. You need to listen. And Jesus says, stop. Let's giggle for a while. Bring them on up. And the last I checked, kids are... Smelly, sticky, messy, annoying sometimes. And boy, do they love to laugh. And boy, do they love to giggle. And so Jesus says, get on up here. And he takes them and he wrestles with them and he tickles them. The disciples are like, oh, I guess we got that one wrong, right? Jesus loved to hang out with kids, and he lets them climb all over him. I've got a one-year-old at home that thinks it is the most hilarious thing in the world to take the bill of my hat and play peekaboo. <laughs> it's great. You think Jesus laughed? Oh, yeah, he laughed. And we read that Jesus savored every moment. When's the last time that you met somebody that would fit right in with your friends on Friday night at the party? And then you would trust to come home and wrestle and giggle with your kids. In the same person. That's your Savior. Oh, that the personality and joy of Jesus would describe us as the church, as his followers. We were having park night that you heard about the, the other night, and I met somebody new, and she was there with her daughter, and we were just hanging out and talking, and she'd played some, some wiffle ball, some t-ball with us, and she'd had some burgers and hanging out, and she hears people laughing, and then it just kind of hits her, like, what kind of a function is this? And so she just looks at me and goes, um, so you guys like a church or something? Because we don't like broadcast it or have a service or something. We're just hanging out. Who would have thought like followers of Jesus could be like normal, authentic, real people that are fun to be with? Novel idea, right? You guys a church group or are you a church or something? I said, yeah. And she goes, oh, wow, because this is like really fun. And I said, good, it should be. How, how far have we strayed from Jesus' personality that the assumption of most people is that I wouldn't want to hang out with church people? Because they don't know how to laugh. Some of you take your faith, I'm not saying we need to take Jesus seriously. Some of you are just way too serious, especially here on Sunday mornings. And you need to loosen up a little bit. You really do. Because you're going to miss the heart of God if you're so serious all the time. And yet Jesus knew that life wasn't always about fun and games. There was a time to, to put his arm around you and simply be there. One of the themes that I saw over and over and over again on these cards that you wrote down was that the God I know is out of touch with my life. The God I know, well, he doesn't have a personality, so he doesn't really care. He doesn't really have compassion. Somebody wrote... God's got bigger things to worry about than my little things. That is an absolute lie. And we're not going to get past that unless we name it that that's a lie, because that's not the God that I see and hear. That's, that's not who he is. Yes, Jesus is 
holy. Jesus is God, but do you know that Jesus was fully human? And not only did he laugh with us, but he walked in our shoes through the difficulties of life. When you hear the phrase, and the word became flesh, you're familiar with that verse, right? The word became flesh. Jesus, the word, became human. That is the most profound statement in the Bible. Meaning that God, Jesus, has felt and experienced anything and everything that you have and will ever experience in this life. Does that not bring you comfort? Does that not bring you encouragement? He's not some distant God. Hebrews puts it this way. Let's read this together up on the screen. Let's read this from Hebrews. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. I uh, encountered a gem this week in the stack of thousands of children's books that we have at our house that I like to read to my son, and we got this from somebody. It's called Little Jesus, Little Me. Everybody, ooh. That's what my son would say, too. Ooh. Let me read it for you. Jesus was a little baby, just like me. Feel free to scream anytime you want. Just that, That's what I'm used to. Jesus learned to walk one step at a time, just like me. Okay, we're almost done. You need to catch on soon. <laughs> There's only four pages in this thing, okay? Jesus loved to read, just like me. That's right, good. I'm getting really good at this. Jesus loved to be held close and rocked to sleep. Us like me. Jesus had a mommy who loved him very much, just like me. That's right. Finally, Jesus was a child of God, just like me. And some of you are saying, great, cheesy children's book. You know where the book leaves off? Jesus cried. Jesus knew what it was like to be abandoned lied to and betrayed by friends. Jesus knew what it was like to have somebody close to you die. Jesus knew what it was like to have the people that were closest to him struggle with a sickness or a disease that just seemed like it had no cure. Sometimes Jesus (laughs) didn't have a home over his head. Sometimes Jesus didn't know where he was going to get his next meal or something to drink. Yeah, it's pretty real, isn't it? So maybe it's not just a cheesy children's book (laughs) after all. Out of the thousands of characteristics that we could talk about Jesus' personality, here's maybe the one that we need the most, his presence. Jesus was the most human face of all. Down to earth. When we say somebody is down to earth, what do, we, what do we mean when we say that? That they're real, that they're authentic, that they're relatable, that, that someone after you're with them, you have these people in your life, after you're with them, you just feel at peace. You just feel rested. Is that the Jesus that you know? That's the Jesus that uh, a guy named J- Jeremy Zmolik, who's a Hope member, tells his hope story, and I want to show you this little clip from that. Jesus used to be distant. Jesus used to be far off. 
until he had this one-of-a-kind experience one day. Let's take a look. A few years ago, I had just gotten divorced. We had just signed the papers, didn't feel the energy to go to work, so I went and sat down on this empty park bench. I remember watching people walk around thinking, wonder if their lives are falling apart or if their lives are put together. Just wondering if they knew how much pain I was in. I was so, I was so inward focused and self, selfish at that time. Noticed this old guy, um, it looked like he was homeless, his clothes were dirty, so he came up, sat down next to me, and I sort of turned away from him, didn't even look at him. And when he was talking, I remember just this feeling of heat transfer from him to the bench and over to me. I was just overwhelmed by this sense of peace and feeling like things were going to be okay. So I turned to look at this, this man who had changed everything about my disposition in that moment. And he, he got up to leave. He said, have a great day. I said, thanks you too. And as he walked away, I just felt this sense of, of loss. I wanted him to come back. I was just longing for him to sit there next to me. I just remember thinking that I think Jesus just came up and sat down next to me, um, saw my pain, saw my frustration, saw my hurt and my brokenness, and just showed up and changed it in an instant, changed me. Um, and I think that was the, one of the first seeds of faith that, that Jesus planted in my heart. I think Jesus just came up and sat on the bench next to me. Are you open to the idea today that Jesus might be closer than you think? That he looks you in the eyes today just as he looked the disciples in the eyes. And no matter what you're going through today, he looks at you and says, you're going to make it. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it. Whatever, whatever you're working through. And among the thousands of things I wish I had more time to tell you, he doesn't leave us there. The last part of Jesus' personality, I couldn't think of a, of a better term or a better word than this. Jesus was a scandalous lover. Think about that for a second. It should rub you the wrong way a little bit because it just doesn't seem right. Well, he was. Turn back to John 21, and this is where we'll end today. The story continues that their, their nets are breaking with fish, remember? They're the fishermen are there and Jesus is on the beach. And their nets are overflowing and it's at that moment that Peter recognizes this is Jesus. This is the Savior. And we pick it up in verse 7. It says, when Simon Peter heard there was the Lord, get this, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work. Nothing like naked fishing, okay? But watch this puts a towel around him, jumps into the water, and headed to shore, swimming breakneck speed to Jesus. How unprofessional of Peter. This is the God of the universe showing up, and at least he had the decency to throw on a towel. What does this tell you about the nature of Peter's relationship with Jesus that maybe he just feels completely comfortable? And there's nobody else that he would rather see in that moment. And he starts swimming towards them. And you wouldn't do that unless it was somebody that you were dying to spend time with. Oh, I'll do my Bible study today. I'll do my devotion. Or will you just jump out of the boat and start swimming with everything you've got towards Jesus? Reminds me of another certain someone that when they saw an old friend, they just jumped right off the boat as well. Our good friend Forrest. 
Let's take a look. That part never gets old. And sometimes I wonder, you guys, you have to read the Bible like this. Sometimes I wonder if Peter was on the boat and he saw Jesus and he went, and jumped out of the boat. And then his boat went crashing into the beach and he says, that's my boat. And Jesus says, I know. You're kind of a weirdo, Peter. And Jesus says, I'm here to be with you. I haven't given up on you, Peter. I'm here with you. And they go to shore and they start getting some fish and Jesus starts cooking them breakfast with Peter. And I can imagine Jesus looking at Peter and saying, how you been, brother? This is the same Peter that about four or five days ago looked Jesus in the eyes and said, I don't know him. I've never met him in my life. And Jesus just goes off to be crucified. If you're Jesus in this moment on the beach, you have every right to be bitter, angry, and to get even. And that's what the world would say. And the reason that Jesus is a scandalous lover, it's scandalous because it doesn't make sense in the eyes of the world. The same grace that Jesus has for Peter is the same grace that he has for you today. Jesus doesn't bring condemnation or guilt or shame or judgment. Jesus asked Peter one question and then he asked you the exact same question today. Do you love me? It's a question of friendship. It's a question of forgiveness. And Jesus says to every single one of you this morning, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. Jump out of the boat. Start swimming. And I'm going to wrap you up in my arms as a good old lost friend. We belong together, Jesus says, you and me. I don't care if your boat just crashed into the shore. I'm alive. I'm alive and I'm here to live with you. Jesus doesn't say, try harder, get it together. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter doesn't deserve it and neither do we, but he died for it. And today you have it. This Jesus, this Jesus, not the Jesus you come up with in your mind, not the Jesus of your past, but the Jesus of right now, playful, down to earth, real, authentic, scandalous lover. Somebody that you jump off a boat and swim at breakneck speed to meet. Is that the Jesus that you know? And my challenge to you today, read the Gospel of John this week. That's your take home for this week. What if we all read it? Read the Gospel of John. Write that down and ask yourself, what is the personality of my Savior? What's Jesus like? I dare you. I dare you. Take a second look. Take a second look and you'll be surprised at the Jesus you discover. Let's stand together.